0: You are listening to Authentic Falconer, a podcast that promotes falconry, conservationism, and collaborates with real, authentic falconers. My name is Mike Bordenero, master falconer and co-owner of a bird abatement company called The Hawk Pros. I'm sitting down with falconers to discuss hunting and training techniques, lessons they have learned, and obstacles they have overcome through their falconer experiences. And of course, the always entertaining stories that come along with falconry. Alright, welcome to uh, the Authentic Falconer podcast, and today I am here with uh, Mr. Ryan Nitzel. He's a friend of mine, we've known each other for quite some time, and uh, this episode we're going to talk about uh, mainly our adventure we had yesterday looking for uh, goss hawks and also some other um, techniques he uses for training uh, hawks and falcons, so we'll jump right into it. First of all, thanks for agreeing to do this with me, Ryan. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so tell me, I came up for, or I came down from Idaho mm-hmm. and uh, you said you were going to go look for some goshawks um, to possibly pull an imprint mm-hmm. and um, you took me out. Tell me where we went and just tell me your whole mindset of how you actually plan to find a goshawk nest because I know a lot of people can't do that. It's pretty tough.
1: Um. Well, you got to decide what bird you want to fly, and then I decided that I like goshawks. I want to be a dirt hawker. So the step that I take to go out and find nests when I'm going to pull a bird, obviously you can't pull until June 1st, which we haven't yet. And I use, basically I look at Google Earth as one of my methods, and I've got certain things that I've worked for me to find locations to where birds should be. Um, I use other tools I try to call birds in um, go out in early March February try to see the birds flying around doing their dances and then go out in April and see like oh they should be still building nests by now and so Mm -hmm. when I find areas kind of like that then I'll come back later and just the long journey of walking around and trying to look for signs that the birds are going to be there and different ways like that.
0: Okay. Uh, you said you um, you call birds in. So how do you do that? What does that mean?
1: Um, shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the trade secrets. Okay. Somebody else invented. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Caught me there. (laughs) Caught me there. Uh, We have methods that we do that bring goshawks to us.
0: Okay. So there's stuff that you don't want to share, and that's fine. That's proprietary stuff, like, obviously. um, But there are things that you can share. So, Yeah. So um, I was wondering, like, before I came out, um, you said you've been looking actively and you've driven, I don't know, how many miles and and hiked how many miles. A lot. Like... uh,
1: We were averaging... 8 to 10 miles a day, 2 to 3 days a week. So we'd either do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday Mm -hmm. since about April 15th. So that's 3 days a weekend. We're on our 6th, 7th weekend, so that's a lot of miles. That is a lot. A lot of miles. Yeah,
0: I can understand when you put that much work in, you don't want to just tell someone, hey, here's a nest. You can have (laughs) (laughs) have your shot, too.
1: It's kind of the thing about... A lot of people are super secretive about what they do, um, but it comes down to goshawks are one of the hardest birds to find in the wild. And finding nests, it's not it's not like an in the city type thing where normal people see the birds all the time. And you won't be driving down your neighborhood and see a Cooper's hawk or a redtail hawk and be like, "Oh, I see a Cooper's hawk. I know what kind of tree they would nest in, so that's got to be near my house because I see them all the time over there." The goshawks, it's a completely different ball game. You're out in the middle of the wilderness, in the forest. You're looking for dense, dense areas, and it it could be pretty much anywhere. Yeah. So I experienced
0: that with you yesterday when we were walking.
1: We hiked three different locations. We hiked a lot. Mm -hmm. We spent all day looking, too, but we found one.
0: We did. You spoiled it. We found one. Yeah. (laughs) It was uh, pretty incredible. So we first... um, you took me to the first spot where you've you've had um, luck before, but they this weren't active. This is the spot active, where I right? pulled
1: my goshawk last year. Okay, that nest wasn't active this year, and we've seen pre- earlier this year, earlier this season we saw the actual goshawk flying around over there. So that's why I know that they've got to be nesting there, but we couldn't pinpoint. And there's private land, and we can't go on that private land. So yeah. If they're nesting in that private land, we just kind of can't do anything about it unless we go and knock on the door and try to ask for permission, which in Arizona, that's not going to happen. No one's going to be like, oh, yeah, just walk on my property. Have fun. Yeah. That's that's not going down here. Okay. So, and then we went to another spot that was kind of a word of mouth spot from people that I know that have gone out and seen birds there before. Mm -hmm. Um, And we didn't really see anything there, but they were logging, so the Forest Service is out there cutting down trees. and
0: That's right. I remember that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So when they do stuff like that, it's kind of like, what do you really do? Do you walk around and try to listen for bird noises with chainsaws going, or do you just go to another spot? Yeah. But the nest we found um, was in a different tree than normal goshawks in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Nobody I know has ever heard of a goshawk nesting in that kind of a tree before. So we actually found kind of like a, a lucky nest that, Nobody that I personally know has ever heard of one being in Arizona in that kind of a tree. So yeah. It was kind of a special nest that we found.
0: It was a freaking amazing experience because we hiked yeah. all day, drove a couple different locations. And then it was like, I was, I want to say it was probably like four o'clock. We were getting kind of close to. Well, we're tired. Yeah. We were getting close. You weren't anywhere near ready to go, but uh, <laughs> I, th- I was for sure thought we weren't going to find one. Yeah. But uh, you said, Hey, let's just go. Go up this hill a little bit more. We haven't gone up to the very top, and then we'll head back down. Yeah. And sure enough, we went up there, and you're right. I mean, it just like opened up. There was like this dense forest, and then there was a bare spot. In this, the tree it was in was just shining like the sun was shining right on it, and I saw you from the angle. Yeah. And you said, "Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, that it was a, is a goshawk nest.
1: It was a weird sight. This is a perfect opening up into a little meadow. And then there was just one tree standing taller with all the light shining over the canopy right onto it. It was perfect. It was like that was a, a tall, scene from a movie.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah. That was a super tall tree. Uh, how tall do you think it was?
1: Um, Going off the judgment of my rope, my rope was pretty far out there. So, And I shot, should have brought my rangefinder to be honest. But I would probably say it was about 80 to 85 feet. Yeah, which is a little bit higher than standard. Mm-hmm. I think standard would be in Arizona, forty-five to sixty-five feet, roughly. Okay. In the tree.
0: Yeah. So when we saw the nest, obviously we didn't know if it was active or not because it was so tall up there. We couldn't see with our bare eyes. Yeah. Couldn't see with the binoculars until you went and got a different angle vantage point. But um, what do you normally look for as far as signs? If let's let's say you can't tell if there's a bird on eggs or if there's babies in there um, ab- um aside from climbing it and finding out like what what signs are you looking for so under from, what,
1: from what i've been able to tell um if the babies are hatched then there will obviously be poop underneath the nest but yeah. from from what i've known from goshawks is until there's poop underneath the nest the babies aren't hatched the females normally don't poop off the side of the nest underneath because other things could come and i guess climb the tree they're very okay. secretive about it i've found a lot of redtail nests and redtails they're just casting right underneath the nest they're pooping all over the place very obvious you, yeah yeah you won't know unless you hear them um if you walk up on a nest and the babies are older Um, the mom will be sitting on the side of the nest and just watching them. Okay. So if they're on eggs, the female should be on the eggs. All right. From what I've experienced.
0: And what is the reaction like you normally get from a nest that has eggs in it from the parents or a nest that has babies in it? Is that different too?
1: Um, so I found probably seven active nests this year before yesterday and all of them are already hatched
0: Um, this is mike with a quick message make sure to subscribe you won't want to miss out on our upcoming interviews and also check out the full experience on our youtube channel authentic falconer you won't regret it and now back to the episode
1: um and The parents, when I was walking underneath the nest or I would try to walk up on a little embankment or a hill next to it to get a good line of sight to the nest to look at the babies through my binoculars, the parents were coming down and screaming and swarming on me. Okay. And sometimes uh, when the birds are a little bit older like that, we had the female fly over probably 80 yards away when we were on a hiking trail and it was just in a tree staring at us. And I noticed the female and was like, oh, man. And we were looking for this nest for eight hours that day, mm-hmm. and we couldn't find it. And then we just watched the female, and then she flew down, and then flew to another tree, and there was the nest hidden behind a bunch of other trees that we couldn't see from our angle. So, we've.
0: That's that's pretty yeah. that's pretty cool though. Um, and then if it's a bird that's on eggs, are there are they going to be swooping at you or?
1: No, normally they're very quiet okay very very quiet don't make any noise kind of hunker down a little bit Mm -hmm. um what they call it is uh going out and checking for tails that's that's the terminology that the arizona falconers normally use Mm -hmm. um i guess it's a higher probability that you'll see the goshawk tail sticking off the end of the nest Mm -hmm. and that's a determining factor that the nest is active If you can see the tail yeah if you can't get a good line of sight um I do know that that's not the case in every scenario, though. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes their nests are a little bit bigger, and they're hunkered in there, and you can't see the tail. Yeah. Sometimes the nests are thicker than other nests. Sometimes the nests are bigger. Sometimes they're smaller. So What
0: what do their nests normally
1: uh, look like? Like, what are they made of? Like, is it a certain type of brush? Is it? Um, up until now, I thought it was just only twigs, mm-hmm. and then the top of it had a little, little bedding of pine needles or whatever. Stuff that they picked up off the ground that they put in there, but this year we saw one that was pine needles all the way through the whole thing and had branches with pine needles all over it. Oh, okay, but normally it's just branches and little tiny little tiny branches that are thin, like maybe thumb finger size that are long. Okay, and, and pine needles.
0: So like, like the one we saw yesterday had a lot of like sticks and it was like almost. You could see through it almost. It wasn't like densely woven together. It just looked like a bunch of sticks piled together. Yeah. That's like the normal, um, well, the common one here, I guess, in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, since we, when we did see it, we did see the the tail first Mm -hmm. through the binoculars. Um, But then she ended up moving a little bit and we got kind of excited that there might be babies in there. Um, But then uh, you made a judgment call after we hiked back to the truck to grab all the gear and um tell us your whole thought process and then what what you did to do um to get the information without actually having to go all the way up to the top and disturbing her
1: um there was a lot of tree canopy underneath where the nest was so when we looked underneath we saw a little bit of white poop so it could have been an indicator that maybe the babies had just barely hatched which in my personal i like seven to twelve day old babies Mm -hmm. So I probably wouldn't have wanted those babies anyways. But when I climbed up halfway and I was listening, trying to hear, like, babies making noise or something, and then I looked down, all the trees that were the canopy underneath the nest, and none of them had any poop on them. And baby birds, it doesn't matter if it's falcons, hawks, whatever, the babies will launch their poop out of that nest. Yeah. And it was kind of weird. The first baby Falcon that we had and we we're like, Oh, she's going to drop a little bit of poop on the ground. No, it was shooting out just like a Hawk. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that didn't stop until it was pretty much hard penned. Then it started pooping normal. Okay. But yeah. So just once, once I realized that there wasn't any poop anywhere, um, even on the tree canopy above that we could see and not hearing anything and being halfway up the tree and the female, um, wasn't mm. reacting to us at all. She was just sitting there quiet. Just made me think that they're not hatched.
0: Yeah. Well, you skipped over like one of the coolest parts of you climbing up that tree. You had this giant slingshot that I <laughs> h- had to help you load <laughs> yeah. and you're dragging it with your foot and like using your whole body weight to cock yeah. it back. What it's is a, that thing called?
1: I don't know the exact name of it. It's, it's just called slingshot. That's what I call it. Oh, um, I had to order, I had to buy it, a, I go to a specialty climbing store here in Phoenix in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And I know the guy, he's a really nice guy and he helps me figure out what I'm going to do. He taught me how to repel. Um, he taught me in his shop how to ascend so I could okay. go climb up into a nest and everything. And he was like, well, this is what you got to do. You got to, you got to be able to have something go over the tree or branch. You can't just throw your rope over the branch. He's like, I've got this giant slingshot, $200 slingshot. And I'm like, I don't know why I would need that. And he, yeah. we cocked the thing in his shop, and we went outside, and he shot it. And I was like, you just shot a one-pound weight 150 feet in the air. I was like, that's cool, man. Yeah. So I had to get one. And it comes in handy. It's it's pretty accurate, too. You shot it first try
0: like yeah. a marksman. I mean, it was, yeah. I was surprised. You There was one branch like – maybe a couple feet below the nest mm-hmm. and you cocked that thing and you were holding it. Like, I don't even know how you were holding it. You just held this. It's I like a put it 10 on my, foot
1: pole. I put it on my shoulder and then just tried to hold the like little a, trigger and just yeah. it like it was a slingshot.
0: And it shot up. And I swear, I thought it was going to hit the branch or go below it because yeah. there was only one branch. There was nothing below to catch yeah. and it just barely went over. And it was a good thing because obviously you don't want to aim too high because you would hit the nest. Yeah. So, so I
1: aimed, I tried to aim directly for the branch just to, just to test where it would go, but I shot it a couple times last weekend when I bought it originally, so I could kind of judge like, oh, okay, so it's not super accurate, but it's not like if I'm aiming for something, it's going to shoot 20 feet to the right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah.
0: So that one pound weight had a, like a string attached Mm -hmm. to it. And once you, you know, slingshot it up there, you were, uh, it went over and all the way down and then you were able to um, I use that to
1: pull my rope to my climbing, your climbing rope, rope. Okay. and you slide it over. It's pretty common in the arborist world. Those type okay. of things that should be a pretty common arborist tool. That's what, um, that's where he told me why I should be able to do is cause he's trained, uh, forest people and arborists to do it before. Okay. So, yeah, that was pretty cool to see. And, uh,
0: Interesting. I'm not a climber in any way, so you pulled out all of this gear, and you told me it was like 900 bucks. I was like, that's 900 bucks." It looked yeah, like just a bag of like a couple things.
1: The, the actual carabiners that are the self-locking carabiners, which for an entry-level climber like me, um, I need something that's easy, and you don't have to screw it in and make sure everything's screwed in tight. It just locks uh-huh. itself in place. Okay. Those, the, just the carabiners are $35. Oh, wow. And then harnesses are anywhere from 100 to $500. Um, rope, it's like a dollar a foot for rope. Mm. I mean, I get a discount because I know the guy, but still, $900 is a lot. That's just a to lot. Go yeah. rappel down and pull a bird or something. Sure. But you've got to be safe than trying to free climb a cliff <laughs> and pull a <the> bird out <laughs> and fall in.
0: Have you had any uh, anything close calls, climbing trees?
1: I haven't, yeah. Yeah, I did actually have a close call. <laughs> Um, I've never had a problem repelling. Um, the first day I had the stuff, I shot up and climbed up to a goshawk nest and was like, it was about 75 feet in the air and I was about 50 feet and I threw the weight because I hadn't had the slingshot yet. And when I threw it, it went over the branch that I wanted to be on, but there was a smaller branch above it Mm -hmm. and I don't have the greatest eyesight. So 55, 65 feet in the air, it's kind of like dark because you're under canopy okay. um, i was about 50 feet up and the little branch that i was on snapped and i fell and my rope caught and i swung out about 15 feet and i held on to another tree and i didn't know that my rope was attached and so i slid down the other tree and <laughs> like a I was bear out. like a yeah. bear hugging it yeah, down like a bear oh my I got, god i had marks all down my legs and splinters all in my arms and stuff and on my chest yeah it was a hey. But it didn't stop me, though. I went back out and yeah, done it again. Since you then. weren't
0: fr- afraid of climbing
1: yesterday, and that was a big-ass tree. So It's just the first time you climb each year. Like two years ago, the first time I repelled. well, I mean, I learned how to climb. Uh, re- I learned how to rappel, and then the next day I went and rappelled off a cliff and pulled some of my friends' prairie falcons. That's, so that yeah. was a very scary moment for me. And then everyone after that, I was like, oh, it's cool. I've got all this climbing gear attached to me. I feel safe. I've got everything on me. But then the year after that, the first time I went out, I had that same fear all over again because I guess a whole year of not doing it, you're like, man, what if I mess up? But yeah, just after the first one and you get through it and you're still alive, you're like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. I can do any tree now.
0: And you told me before, like, you're a skydiver and, like, Heights don't generally scare you, right? I am
1: very scared of heights. Oh, but you are I'm not <laughs> scared. So if I have something attached to me, that's like a safety mechanism, like a parachute or a base jumping parachute. Yeah. Um, I'll go up, jump 12,000 feet out of the airplane. No problem. I'll go jump off a cliff with my friends. Um, we jump camelback. We go to the superstition mountains and jump. Um, and that's just with base jumping gear. And that doesn't scare me at all i still have a pit in my stomach when it happens every time i get adrenaline going but i'm not scared but like if we were just be up 45 feet and we were going to jump into some water i would be scared like in my head i would be sweating oh okay I feel it yeah. i don't like heights
0: so you like just that that feeling where you think you're safe you convincing yourself mm-hmm. even though yeah. you know your safety is only as good as your equipment on you. So mm-hmm. and you that's found I found that out. $900 equipment. <laughs> <laughs> so you paid all the money. So, yep. so there you go, man. That's good. Um, now when you, when you went up the tree, you only went up halfway and I, I noticed that you were listening and you were really careful not to go up there if it was eggs, cause you didn't want to scare or spook the bird. How important is that to not mess with them when they're on their eggs?
1: So, So I've heard a lot of different theories about it. Like the parents, you could upset the parents and they could abandon the nest. Mm -hmm. Personally, in my experience, I've never seen them abandon the nest just because it was eggs and someone was trying to climb up or anything. My thought process behind it was, is we were still up in a higher elevation. That's pretty much one of the highest elevations you could be at in Arizona is where we were. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about it being 45 degrees at nighttime. And obviously it was about 630. Yeah. So if the bird leaves the nest and she freaks out and stays off the nest for an hour or two, those eggs could lose the heat that's actually incubating them and keeping them alive, and then they could all die. Yeah. So in my opinion, I'd rather not make a bird leave eggs or small babies um, because if a baby gets too cold overnight, um, their digestive system could shut down, and they'll just die, Mm -hmm. and we don't want that. No, obviously. So yeah. If the babies were older and we could tell, like, oh, they're standing up, they're 18 days old, it wouldn't matter because they could already thermal regulate, which is the process in their body of being able to control their own temperature and they don't mm-hmm. need their parents to do it for them, then it wouldn't have been a big deal. We could have went up there regardless. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I just I don't want eggs to die because I was too curious to wait another week. Yeah. Obviously, they weren't old enough to stand up, so they weren't that old. Exactly, yeah. So we assumed they were on eggs because the mom did not leave the nest one time Mm -hmm. and the male wasn't coming in. And so my opinion was they were on eggs.
0: Yeah. So it's really good. um, Like, because I have never searched for a nest before. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, just following your cues and looking at what you were looking for, I learned a lot. And it's good to know the preventative techniques too, like for the reasons you just told me. uh, Because obviously, our goal is never to to disrupt nature. Um, Mm -hmm. some people may think pulling, a you know, a a bird to imprint it is unnatural or it shouldn't happen, but, um, it's part of falconry and we learn a lot from that. And a lot of the birds, you know, they don't survive in the wild anyway. I mean, it's a high percentage that, you know, two thirds of them will won't make it just because they're not good enough hunters. And we, when we do train them, we give them a, a lot better chance, a lot more shelter, a lot more, um, you know, a warm place to stay at night. So they aren't, you know, thrown out and given the high percentage chance of not surviving. So I wanted to ask you the, um, the whole allure of imprinting a bird and grabbing, you know, and taking a, uh, well, how old, how many days is ideal for you?
1: It really depends on the bird. Um, with the goshawk, they start to develop fear at an early age. So you Mm -hmm. would be more inclined to take the bird as young as you could find it. Um, It's a lot more work when they're a lot younger and they can't actually take care of themselves enough and they can't control their own body heat. Mm -hmm. But the earlier you take the bird, the less fear it's going to have. And goshawks are one of the most fearful types of birds. I mean, you see people that you can't wear a hat when you go out with them because their birds will just fly away. You see people that have all kinds of problems. Some people, if there's people there, they can't um, get their bird back and they have to pull out a lure to get their bird back and stuff like that. So in my opinion, it's easier just to go and get a bird when it's a lot younger, you train it, the bird starts to learn from you and you learn the way that the bird acts from the start. And then you don't have to try to change habits of it being a wild hunter, um, and then make it hunt more. So you and it are compatible. Basically you're just raising it to be compatible with you. Mm-hmm. And that was my theory behind it. Um, obviously the bird's gonna wanna come back to you a lot more than a wild bird would. Sure, yeah. Once you trap off a trap and let's say it sees you and it has ingrained in its head, like, man, this guy was mean, he stole me from my home and now I'm stuck in this muse in his backyard or something. Yeah. He brings me food all the time mm-hmm. and then it takes a long time to have the bird get used to you and become the thing that you hunt with. Yeah. And then the
0: flip side is you get them when they're, you know, a week or you know just old enough that you're able to take them, and then you eliminate those fears that they had from as of trapping them. That's the theory behind it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I mean, when a bird imprints on you, the science behind it is it thinks that it's kind of a human also. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So you would, in theory, be able to do more with it, and you'd be able to keep it at higher weights, which prevent it from getting sick. Because birds, when they're lower, their immune system won't fight off as well. So keep the bird a little bit fatter. In my opinion, it's a better way for me to go. Mm -hmm. But not for everybody. Some people don't like it at all. Yeah.
0: So I have, um, I know falconers that will weigh out their food. They, you know, feed them by the ounce. Mm -hmm. And they have like charts and systems because they will only fly them in between certain weights and they're very meticulous, and I'm not knocking that in any way because that's how they do it. It's a, it's a way that works for them. Um, I know you do it a completely different way as far as their weight goes. Um, could you just describe and tell us a little bit about how you fly them?
1: Um, I don't usually weigh my birds in aspect of a window where if my bird's not within this 4-gram window, I'm not going to fly my bird. I, I fly my bird off the way that it reacts to me when I come to get it to go hunting. Mm-hmm. so if my bird acts like i want to go hunting right now i'm like oh you're probably at a good weight. you throw it on the scale you you figure out what that that perfect flight weight is and obviously your bird's going to go up with the more muscle it gets or it could go down and you got to know that if your bird's sick you got to know what a weight that you can determine that your bird really is sick is and you can determine if your bird's too big um but me personally, I don't weigh my birds to determine whether or not I hunt. I only weigh my birds to determine if they're sick or if they're um, having problems or something.
0: Yeah, if they're acting funny, then you throw them on the scale and just yeah. kind of assess So the if situation. your bird's 100
1: grams lower than you know it should be, then obviously your bird's got a problem. And you can determine whether it's crop and your bird's not eating. You can determine whether it's sick and it's got coxie or asper. And yeah. so it's a better determiner for me to just know the bottom weight that my bird shouldn't be at. And then Mm -hmm. if my bird acts like it wants to go hunt and it's 30 grams heavier than it was a week before, I'll still take it out. And that's kind of my method behind that.
0: Yeah. It sounds to me like it's probably the most natural method uh, as far as, you know, birds in the wild will hunt whenever they're ready to and,
1: Birds in the wild from what I can tell from all the trapping I've done is they just sit around all day and they just wait for a bird to come. And I don't think it matters to them if they're fat, if they're skinny, if they're at their perfect weight, if they see the Mm -hmm. perfect thing, then they just go for it. Yeah,
0: that's true. The opportunistic moments are the ones taken.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, what is the uh, allure to, you know, flying a goshawk over a Cooper's or like, how come you're right now you're going to spend a lot of time and energy taking a baby um Um, what do you want to hunt with it and
1: i like hunting jackrabbits with a female goshawk and ducks okay and the bigger that bird is is the less it's going to get beat up so if you have a smaller bird um like obviously a cooper's hawk i've taken a half-grown jackrabbit with a cooper's hawk a female but you're not really gonna do that. That's not a common occurrence. Not very often, yeah. Yeah, and a full-grown jackrabbit wouldn't just kill your Cooper sock. Mm-hmm. It kicked it, it's dead, yeah. pretty much. Um, so I like hunting jackrabbits. I like long flights. I have sight dogs, um, long dogs. So when they run, they keep the jackrabbits running and then my birds can fly behind them and you get a really long flight out of it and it just looks cool, mm-hmm. good for photos, videos. It's just a better experience um in my opinion to hunt jackrabbits than to go out and have your bird fly 10 feet behind a bush and get a cottontail out of a bush i mean it's still fun it's still a good time hunting and hunting cottontails but i just prefer to hunt jackrabbits and ducks with a female goshawk so that's yeah what i'm trying to do this year
0: if anyone has seen um you know a really awesome jackrabbit chase they'll know i mean jackrabbits have some pretty Sick moves. They'll jump. Yeah. I don't even know how jump, high they can jump. Turn on a dime. Yeah.
1: They'll kick and freak out.
0: Yeah. It's pretty in- incredible to see. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to uh, when you are ready to pull your bird, seeing what, um, you know, he or she can do out in the field and definitely looking forward to going hunting with you.
1: Yeah. Arizona has a lot of good flat opportunities to see really long jack flights. Mm-hmm. So it, it should be a good good season this year. That's
0: incredible. I um, wanted to ask you. Uh, so ideally, the game you're going to be hunting is Jackson and you're you're going to pull the um, uh, the goss. But uh, was there anything, any other um, any other aspects of falconry that you haven't really achieved, or where your your goals are going to towards next?
1: Um, so I've always known I was just going to be a dirt hawker. Um, my sponsor obviously claims to be a long winger and that's what he wants to do is fly falcons and everything mm-hmm. from when I was an apprentice. And I personally got into Harris Hawks and Red Tails and I liked being hands-on and in the field, walking around, getting dirty, kicking bushes and stuff. And that just kind of was more more of a better experience, in my opinion, to go out and do the dirt hawking lifestyle. Yeah. And as my first year as a general, I started getting into Falcons a little bit. I had a couple Falcons out flying and it just wasn't as much fun to me. It was, I mean, obviously there's a skill in being a long winger, um, droning, ballooning, getting your bird out and teaching it how to go up and knowing when or when not to throw out a sealed pigeon or just a pigeon to get its pitch going mm-hmm. and to not teach your Falcon bad habits. And I I did not have fun doing it. I did not like it. Yeah. I could fly a falcon. I flew my falcon. We were taking game. It was fun. My my Barbary was taking um doves and quail from five hundred feet and it was a lot of fun to me. Yeah. It's not the typical long winger two thousand feet, but I mean I had fun doing it. But I would rather go out and hunt jackrabbits with the goshawk or Harris Hawk. It's more fun to me. Yeah. More hands on um
0: yeah, yeah was, that's good to know like obviously some people want to try a little bit of everything and you figured out you just pointed towards yeah staying towards the I had ground to try,
1: i had to try falcons um normally whatever my friends are like oh let's go try this this year then yeah obviously yeah let's do it i'll try one too we'll just have a competition to see whose birds better mm-hmm. or what's more fun and i just i wasn't into the falcon thing yeah my friend tried to do the Falcon thing. he wasn't too into it either, but my goals are just gonna be I just like goshawks and Mm-hmm. um I don't really I don't really care to fly too many other birds right now I don't really I haven't really thought too far in the future yeah, maybe one day I'll try another falcon
0: yeah, you never know just depends on where you're at. I know that um you have like pretty amazing skill set i know you i mean we've talked plenty of times uh, yeah. about like a little bit of your past so it's not just falconry that you i mean you're a builder you build homes or frame you're a framer right yeah yeah so you have that business and then um before that i mean you used to be a almost a professional skateboarder mma fighter i don't even know like the <laughs> list goes on and on it's pretty incredible yeah um but I'm really glad that you're able to sit down and, and share some secrets and maybe a little bit more than you wanted to, but, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I had a great time and I, I appreciate you, um, you know, doing the podcast of course and, uh, you know, housing me and let me film and yeah. being a part. so it was a good weekend. Yeah. I had a blast. So, if uh, if you guys enjoyed any of this, um, just a little bit, give me that like button, subscribe. I want to grow the channel. I want to talk to more people like Ryan so he can share some, uh, or so we can all learn from, uh, you know, authentic falconers. And I think that's really the best part is keeping the community um, tight and keeping us more informed so we can learn and uh, just better ourselves, you know. Yep. Yeah. But thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. That does it for this podcast. If you want to hear more, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram. Just do that key search, Authentic Falconer, and tag us on any of your posts. We'd love to follow along on your experiences and your journeys. Buy some merchandise at AuthenticFalconer.com if you want to support the channel. And hopefully, we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.